the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The scriptures use two different words to describe looking. In the case of John, it was a common word for seeing, blepo. But in the case of Peter, it's a word, a special word, from which we get the words theory or theorize from. And, And what it suggests is that there was thoughtful observation and consideration that he studied the scene and he theorized what might have occurred and tried to match the evidence with his theory. Thank you for joining us today on Study Verse by Verse. That's Pastor Leighton Sheely. And if you're new to the broadcast, you can expect that kind of thorough teaching as we present another edition of our outreach from Church of the Highlands. I'm Mike Trout. So glad you've joined us. And I'll talk a lot more about our special Easter weekend schedule at the church when we get down to the end of the program. More information about Church of the Highlands is on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Or call the church office at 650-873-4095. And I'll repeat all those details when we get down to the end of the program. Pastor Layton is moving into the 20th chapter of the book of John as we start this Wednesday broadcast. These men gave Jesus a decent burial according to Jewish custom and provided for embalming, which was similar to but not exactly like Egyptian practice because there wasn't a mutilation of the body. The the body was first washed and then wrapped in linen, and these spices were put in the folds. But there was need for haste because the sundown was soon to arrive, and they needed to finish before the Sabbath. There was a tomb in the garden. Only John mentions the garden, very near the place of execution. The tomb was described as new, one in which no one had ever been laid. Now, tombs were commonly hewed out of solid rock, and they were closed with a heavy stone, a rounded stone that would run in a groove and close over the mouth of the tomb. Such tombs were expensive, and they were normally designed to take more than one body. But on this occasion, John tells us the tomb had never been used before a detail that Luke also mentions and Matthew tells us that this tomb actually belonged to Joseph himself. John's purpose in this was to prepare us for the next chapter because if on the third day the tomb was empty, there was only one body that had been in the tomb. There'd be no question about who it was who had left the tomb. Chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he, he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. 
not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John chose to exclude a a lot of information that we find in some of the other Gospels that had already been in circulation, such as the earthquake, the angel rolling away the stone, the sitting on the stone, the appearance of the two angels, and so forth. The Gospels tell us that very early on that Easter Sunday morning, a number of women came to the tomb with spices. In every case, Mary Magdalene is listed first. Matthew speaks of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mark mentions these two in Salome. Uh, Luke mentions the two Marys and Joanna. No doubt the burial had been rushed on Friday, and so these women came back with the spices intending to finish the burial. It says that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb very early, while it was still dark. And that would explain why she didn't see everything that Peter and John saw later. But she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and her immediate reaction was to run and tell Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. She had noticed that the tomb was empty, but her conclusion was that the body had been relocated. Apparently, the thought of resurrection never entered her mind. The two disciples started for the tomb, running leaving Mary far behind, outrunning Peter. John arrived at the tomb first, stooped and looked through the narrow opening, saw the grave closed. Some conjecture that John arrived first because he was a younger man. Remember, at the time of this event, he was in his teens or maybe his early 20s. Archaeological studies revealed to us that the entrances of these tombs were usually no more than three feet tall, so any adult would have had to stoop to enter the tomb. Peter arrived second, but... True to his impetuous nature, he rushed right into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there and the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The scriptures use two different words to describe looking. In the case of John, it was a common word for seeing, blepo. But in the case of Peter, it's a word, a special word, from which we get the words theory or theorize from. And, And what it suggests is that there was thoughtful observation and consideration such as that that might be exemplified by, say, Sherlock Holmes. That he studied the scene and he theorized what might have occurred and tried to match the evidence with his theory. This cloth was folded up by itself and separate from the linen, and clearly this was important to John, but the exact meaning is under some dispute among scholars. What is very clear, however, is that this is in contrast with the resurrection of Lazarus. You may recall that when Lazarus rose from the dead, he exited the tomb wearing the grave clothes with the extra burial cloth wrapped around the head. But evidently, Jesus, in his new resurrected body, simply passed through the grave clothes and left them right there, spices and all. In much the same way, he just walked through the door or the wall of the locked room in which the disciples had met. We're going to find a little bit about that a little bit later. But John noticed that there was no disturbance in the tomb. It was exactly the way it should have been, except the body was missing. Now, really, there's only two options. Either someone came and got Jesus' body, or Jesus somehow or other walked out. 
of the tomb. It doesn't make any sense to consider the religious leaders uh, and the, the Romans as wanting to relocate the body. They didn't want to relocate the body. That's why they posted a guard there to make sure it wasn't relocated. Some have taught that the body of Jesus was stolen. But the problem with that theory is if it was stolen by grave robbers, why did they leave the grave clothes, which were filled with this expensive spice? That doesn't make any sense. They would have removed that along with the body. There have been others who have taught that Jesus, after all he went through, the scourgings and the cross and the spear through the side, all of a sudden was came back. He was resuscitated. He was really only in a coma. And that somehow or other, he removed all of these grave clothes from him, moved the heavy stone all by himself in his condition, and walked out, appearing to his disciples as though nothing had happened. That doesn't make any sense to me at all, in part because of some personal experience. A few years ago, I had the misfortune of falling off my motorcycle on a San Francisco freeway. I didn't end up too bad. I, I had a couple of broken wrists and a broken hand, broken shoulder, and you know, some things like that. I did, certainly didn't have a spear thrust through my side into my heart. But you know where I was on the third day? I was in the hospital. You know where I was on the 40th day? I wasn't in the hospital, no. But I was in two casts, and the most I could pick up was maybe a uh, pen or something about that heavy. I was, in, I was in bad shape. And the idea of Jesus, after going through all that he went through, unwrapping grave clothes, Lazarus couldn't get his off, moving that huge stone just really doesn't make any sense. None of these explanations explain it. The disciples saw everything in order. The body was gone. The body was gone. And that was confirmed by the Sanhedrin. You remember when the Roman guards came and said, if we failed in our mission to protect the tomb? What were they told by the Sanhedrin? They said, when if somebody asks you, just say that the disciples came and stole the body away. That just proves that the body was altogether missing. Because if they could have, they would have shown the body to dispel any notions that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. But they couldn't. Because the body was missing. The tomb was empty. For John, as for all Christians, the resurrection of Jesus is the immutable fact upon which our faith is based. That Jesus Christ's resurrection proved that he was who he claimed to be. That he was the Son of God, God incarnate, that he was the Messiah. We believe that. It is a fact of history. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, underscoring the importance of the resurrection. He wrote, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But 
Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Christ all will be made alive. Question. Are you in Christ? And we extend that question to you in the listening audience as well. That was Pastor Leighton Sheely, and he was speaking to the congregation at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And if you don't know the answer to that question with great certainty, give us the opportunity to perhaps walk through the questions you might have with you. You can give us a call at 650-873-4095. Our website is highlands.us. We have special services coming up this weekend. I promised I'd give you those details. We've run out of time. Let me just encourage you to go to the website. We'd love to see you this Sunday sometime at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Have a blessed rest of your day and come back tomorrow as we once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse.